If you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn there to um, Luke chapter 20. Um, we're going to turn to Luke chapter 20. Uh, we're going to take a look real quick at just one verse, and then I'm just going to unpack it, and we're going to get out, okay? Because I know a lot of you amazing-looking people still need pictures to take back there. But there's something that we showed up for this morning. We showed up to hear about what took place and what we're celebrating, and that is my aim this morning. So with that being said, uh, we have been in a series entitled... Um, entitled Covenants. And so what we have done is we have walked from all the way from the book of Genesis and the covenant that God made with Adam and Eve and that the covenant was for the, it was a, called the covenant of works. That there was a covenant made between God and Adam and Eve that they would, they would work the ground and subdue the earth and that they would multiply and fill the earth. Those, those were the covenants. And those two covenants uh, ultimately, um, or that covenant ultimately led to another covenant. And we know that Adam and Eve weren't able to keep the covenant, so suddenly there's another covenant that comes behind it. It's the Noahic covenant. And so God makes a covenant with Noah after he floods the earth. His covenant was that he would never again wipe out the earth with a flood. And so when you see a rainbow, that's what that's about. And then when you, um, and then there's another covenant that followed, the covenant with Moses, where Moses goes up on the mountain and he receives the Ten Commandments. And that, that um, covenant had a lot of instruction in it. You guys are probably familiar with all the thou shalls and the thou shall nots, all the things that you're to do and you don't do. And then after that was a covenant with David, which leads us, and David was about kingship, that there would come from the throne of David a king who would eventually rule the earth forever. And his name is what? Jesus. Y'all can say it a little louder, have a little more confidence. His name is? Jesus. There you go. All right. How many of you, I want to start out with a question. So we've recapped. I want to start with a question this morning. If you'll turn this down, I'll pull it up. It just seems like it's really, I don't know why it's like really loud. Okay, there we go. All right, how many of you have ever made a really dumb decision in your life? So bad, in fact, that if you think about it right now, you can embarrass yourself. Like, you'll feel all the blood rush into your face, right? I mean, man, that is, I can, I put, I'd, I'd put both hands up, right? Like, I have made so many bad decisions in my life that I knew they were bad decisions when I made them. And then I made them anyway. And then even thinking about them today, like I get so embarrassed by it. Like, how could you be that stupid? Like, that's just how I talk to myself sometimes. Um, I, I want to tell you a story. It's a story that I have shared here before, but it's been several years. And I just want to share with you so you can see how dumb of a guy that this church voted to be their pastor. Okay, I just, I just, want, to, I just want to show you. So when I was in middle school... When I was in middle school, you guys know like middle school, it's like you were in elementary school, then one day you transition to middle school, you get to middle school, and all of a sudden girls don't have cooties anymore, right? Like suddenly like, they smell good. Like what is that? And they start looking real pretty. And, and so uh, I didn't, up to that point, never had a girlfriend before. And so I'm in like eighth grade. And so this girl, she started liking me. And the funniest thing is her name was Dee Dee. Even greater story is she married a guy named Billy. So I'm just telling you, God can redeem anything, okay? So, um, so yeah, I'm in eighth grade. Now, a little context behind my understanding of, of girls at that point, which I don't still understand a whole lot about them still to this day, but I'm working on it. God's still working on me. So um, there's this girl, and, you know, she starts, she's liking me, and I'm liking her. Now, context before that, the only girls in my life that I knew, I had a mom, and then I had, um, which is obvious, I'm standing here, and then I had, um, I, had a, I had a cousin, and she lived with us, basically. Her, my mom's sister, like, we, we just grew up poor, so when you grow up poor, you just throw as many people as you can in a house and make it work. And so my cousin was like my sister. Like, y'all got any, like, cousins like that, that y'all are more like brother or sister than... Yeah, so um, this is how we grew up. So when I was a kid, on Saturday mornings, 
there were some there were some constants in our house. Looney Tunes. Anybody raise your hand if you know what Looney Tunes is? Not not like the new stuff that came out like in the 2000s. I'm talking about the real Looney Tunes. I'm talking about like old Bugs Bunny where they blew stuff up and everything was okay, right? So we that was the one constant. The other constant was wrestling, not wrestling. Wrestling's the stuff when they wear singlets that some of those guys up there are good at. I'm talking about wrestling. Y'all know what I'm talking about when I say wrestling? So that was, that was Saturday mornings, man. And so um, I, I would watch these guys come off the top rope. Funny story, my little guy, Asher, he's seven years old. Uh, this year he, we put him in wrestling, and he's like, Dad, do I get to wear a mask? I was like, yes, you do. Like, <laughs> put a mask on that man. So we would watch guys come off the top rope, and we watch these suplexes and belly back suplexes, and then... Um, I would, I would like practice them on my cousin. Like right? we would wrestle together and we'd belly to back suplex and all that stuff. Well, as I got to eighth grade, I started to get, you know, you've, you become a boy and you're starting to grow up a little bit. And I gotten a little stronger because I'm older. And, um, I remember one day that my mom, my mom came in and I'm, I'm sizing my mom up. I'm thinking, I, I think I can, <laughs> I think I can take mom. I think I can, I think I can pull this suplex off. So my mom comes in the, my mom comes in her bedroom and I followed her in there and I said, mom, how was your day? Good. Why are you asking? You never asked me how my day was. Like, no, 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 no reason. I just slid up behind her and I acted like I was gonna hug her. I just picked her up and I belly to back suplexed her on the bed. Okay. She thought it was hilarious, man. She starts laughing and she's having. I'm like, man, this is awesome. Like, mom, we can do this every day if you want. Like, this is great. So then I was like, well, man, if I can suplex my mom, certainly. You know, like I can suplex my cousin. I mean, she's half my mom's size. So my cousin comes in one day and I was like, hey, come here. I got to show you something in the bedroom. So I picked her up and I bellied back suplex her on the, on the bed. And so she laughed. And I'm thinking, this is awesome, man. Like I just get like these wrestling partners. This is cool stuff right here. I could do this all day long. Well, then fast forward to eighth grade year. Um, Dee Dee, my one-time girlfriend, was uh, she, you know, there's that, y'all remember what it was like. Like you got to girlfriend for the first time and you're like I don't even know how to talk to a girl like like what do you say like so she likes me I like her but I don't even know how to carry a conversation right so it's just just an awkward thing and I my birthday is on Christmas and so we had my birthday party on the last day of school before Christmas break so we invited a whole bunch of people over like I invited a bunch of my buddies and I was like hey come on birthday party and we're like yeah we'll we'll play football in the yard we'll do this whole thing but um I invited my girlfriend because I thought, hey, you know, you got a girlfriend, you should invite her to your birthday party. So I invited her to her birthday party. But again, she shows up, and I don't know how to talk to her. So I'm like hanging out with all my buddies. We're listening to Run DMC in the bedroom. Walk this way. Y'all, anybody, y'all know that one? Yeah. You didn't know you were going to show up to Easter service and talk about Run DMC. <laughs> so we were, and, and, and so she's over on the other side of like, because like we're all in hanging out in my bedroom, and there was like this, um, she's on the other side just kind of sitting over there twiddling her thumbs like, and she looked bored out of her mind. I mean, just absolutely bored. So in my head, I'm like, well, what do girls like to do? So I know two girls. I know my mom and I know my cousin. And what makes them laugh and have a good time is when I suplex them on the bed. So I'm like, I'm like, all right. Famous last words. I looked at one of my buddies and was like, watch this. Unbeknownst to me, one of my buddies had a trumpet case that he brought with him home from school to my party. While I was walking to the other side of the bed, he put his trumpet case up on the bed. And when I bellied it back, suplexed her, I heard a thump. And I'm like, that's odd. I've never heard that before. And I look back. She's holding the back of her head. There's a trumpet case laying on the bed. And all my buddies are like. 
We broke up after that. <laughs> it's funny. We, look up, we, we joke about it today. I ran into her several years ago, and I told her, I said, hey, um, I don't know if you remember this, but like very embarrassing moment for me in my life, and I just wanted to say I'm so sorry. I, I didn't have the courage or anything to apologize to you back then, and I, I just want to apologize. And she said, what for? And I said, do you remember when you came over to my house for my birthday party, and I suplexed you, and you hit your head on the trumpet case? She was like, I don't know what you're talking about. It's called concussion. That's <laughs> Anyway, funny story again. She married a guy named Billy. Now, um, I don't know about you. That's, that's one of my embarrassing stories. I could probably share with you a whole lot of others, but for the sake of time, let me just say this. There was a, that moment, as soon as her head hit, and I saw the look in her eyes. It was dazed look, but I saw the look. It was a mean look, a mad look. She was not happy with me. In that moment, I wished I had an undo button. You guys remember the, store, uh, the, the commercial a couple years ago from Staples? They had the little, it's the easy button. Like, I didn't need an easy button. I needed an undo button. Like, I, I, I do a lot of photo and video editing, and when I do it, there's this thing, like, when you mess up, you just go up there and hit edit, undo, and it's gone. You know what I'm talking about, right? You just undo, like, undo. We're going to go back. And so I needed, in that moment, an undo button, and I needed an undo button numerous times over the course of my life. How many of you would like to have an undo button? Yeah, like I can hit it and it didn't happen. Like I don't even remember it. That would be fantastic. Now, why do I bring this up? A covenant, we're going to put the definition up there just to rehash, refresh. Covenant is an agreement between God and human beings where God promises blessing if the conditions are kept and threatens curses if the conditions are broken. So God's design for humanity, God's design for all of us was that we could be his people in paradise with his presence. It's the three P's of the covenant promises. His people in paradise or in a place with his presence. So in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve broke the covenant uh, that God made with them. And then in, in, that, in a moment, sin entered the world. And I have said it this way throughout the course of the series. When they took, like from the moment they took a bite and sin entered the world, sin's been biting us ever since. We all wrestle and struggle with uh, this whole thing that we call sin. So what is sin? Here's how the Bible defines sin. Sin is an immoral act considered to be a transgression against God's divine law. Another way that the Bible says is that you miss the mark. There's a story, I don't know if you guys have heard this, there's a story, a true story about an Olympian. Uh, they were, he was on the archery team, and he gets up, and all he's got to do, all he's got to do is just hit the target, and he wins gold medal. He's, all he's got to do is hit the target. He doesn't have to hit the bullseye. He just has to be on the target. So he gets up there, he pulls back, he lets the arrow go, and sure enough, he hits bullseye dead center. But he didn't win a medal. And the reason is, is because he hit the target and the bullseye of the target that was in the opposite lane of his. So that is a picture of what sin is. Sin is we miss, God has a bullseye, we miss the target. And that's what sin is. Now, what is, and then there's this thing that enters in on, from the day that Adam and Eve sinned, we inherited it. It's a nature of ours. It's called sin nature. And sin nature is our natural bent towards breaking the law. It's our natural bent towards breaking the law. It's the reason that your cute, adorable little babies that, you know, they look so cute. You dressed them up this morning. They came in. They look just amazing. It's the reason that those cute, adorable little faces rebel against you without you even having to teach them how to do it. I mean, they'll, don't touch that. Anybody, y'all, y'all know what I'm saying? Like kids, just do that. 
You just, whatever you tell him not to do, that's exactly what, that's called sin nature. Nobody had to teach him how to lie. Nobody had to teach him how to bite. Nobody had to teach him how to take other toys from other kids and crack them over the head with it. Nobody had to teach him that. It's called sin nature. We're born with it. Here's the thing about sin nature. We all have it, okay? If you don't think you have a sin nature, like if you're thinking, well, I, what if I don't believe in God? What if I don't believe in his laws? What if I don't believe in that whole sin nature thing? Let me prove to you that you have a sin nature. You can't even keep your own rules. How many of you have ever made a New Year's resolution? How's that working for you? You, you can't even, we can't even keep our own rules and laws. We, hey, I'm going to diet this year. Or I'm going to start a diet. And all we do is start. We don't finish it. We just start, right? Well, we're going to start exercising. We're going to go to the gym. We're going to start jogging. We're going to start running. We're going to do whatever. And we, we start it, but we don't follow through. We don't finish. We can't even keep our own rules. So sin broke God's world. It's all broken. We're all broken. And, but it didn't destroy, even though sin broke the world, it didn't destroy God's plan. So what is God's plan? What was God's plan for humanity as we see through these covenants? Well, we saw that through Noah and his covenant was common grace. What is common grace? That no matter whether you're good or bad, God, there are certain things that God is going to grace every single person. There's air to breathe. There's sunshine. There's rain that falls. Everybody gets that, okay? Not, just because you're bad doesn't mean like, you're, like God's not just going to rain everywhere and then leave your house dry. Like everybody gets common grace. That's Noah. And then we get to, um, through Abraham, God initiates this covenant of grace, Okay, grace is unmerited favor. It means you get something, I get something that I don't deserve. So through Abraham and then through, um, and even through Moses and then through David, this is all the covenant of grace. And as it goes on, as we move further in the Old Testament towards Jesus, it expands. It becomes more detailed. It becomes more instructive for us. And what we realize after studying the covenants is that the condition for a right relationship with God so the condition for a right relationship with God, a relationship where God's blessings are being poured out through covenants being kept, where we become his people in a promised place or a promised land with his presence is only possible through perfect obedience. Anybody in here able to be perfectly obedient to the word of God? I'm just going to tell you, not me, not on my best day can I be perfectly obedient to the word of God. And see, here's the problem. This creates an enormous problem for all of us, but it's not a problem that God didn't anticipate. I'm going to give you a, pa a couple passages of Scripture here. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned. Everybody say all. all. All have sinned. That's me and you. All have sinned, fall short of the glory of God. We fall short of his expectations. We fall short of keeping his covenants. Ephesians, or Romans 6.23 says this, for the wages of sin is what? The wages of sin is death. So number one, there's two parts to this. Number one, the first wage of death is physical death. Every one of us is going to face that one day. Okay, that's part of the fall of Adam and Eve. It's part of the promise and the curse, I guess you could say, that God gave to Adam. But there's also a spiritual death that will be suffered if there's not something done before we reach physical death. There will be a second death, and that is eternal separation from God. Then Ephesians chapter 2 Look at verse 12. Paul writes this. He says, Remember that you are, were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having, what's those next two words? Yeah. Having no 
hope. Why? Because we're without God in this world and we will be without God for eternity without something being done. So according to the first covenant, the covenant of works, Adam and all human beings after him are covenant breakers. That's me and you. We are all covenant breakers. And therefore, because of that, we must simply die. That sounds really harsh. Happy Easter. Let's all go home, right? No, I mean, that's like a difficult thing that because of our inability to keep God's perfect law, to keep it perfectly, that we are that we're going to die. There's no way around it. Yet, the covenant of grace in each of its successive additions of that, so again, from Abraham to Moses to David, as the covenant of grace plays out, it has promised great blessings for those who are under grace. So, uh, so Moses receives a blessing. Abraham receives a blessing. David receives a blessing. All these people are blessed and, and then, two, countless Israelites after them and all Christians who would come and place their faith in Christ. So what was the condition? Simply that they trusted God and they took Jesus. They trusted God for what he accomplished through Jesus, and we take Jesus to be our Lord and Savior. Well, why does Abraham, have you ever thought about this? Why does Abraham, why does Isaac, why does Jacob, why does Moses, why, does, why do all the Israelites, David, why does everybody in the Old Testament get to experience grace. I mean, Abraham wasn't righteous. If you've ever read the story and some of the things that Abraham did, on one occasion he, he prostituted his wife out to the Pharaoh, and he did it again a few years later with, a, with another king named Abimelech. Could you imagine? See, that, that's one of the reasons that I have so much confidence that the Bible is true, because if I was writing a story that I wanted to be make-believe that sounded really good, I wouldn't put those stories in there. I would put all the good stuff. I would put all the, all the happy stuff. I would put in there flawed people who failed miserably. I wouldn't put those things in there. Um, so how can, how can simply having faith then mean that Abraham gets away scot-free? How can someone who is under the curse of the covenant of works inherit the blessings of covenant grace? I mean, if you're guilty, you must be punished. That's the rule. That's how God works. That's what the covenant says. So God can't just arbitrarily let a bunch of people through. I mean, God can't, go like, God can't be the gatekeeper who says, hey, I tell you what, guys. I know you've messed up. I know you messed up a lot in your life. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to close my eyes. When I close my eyes, you guys go in the gate, and I won't tell anybody. God can't do that because if he does that, then he would be unjust. So there has to be something that's going to take place. There has to be something that is going to happen. There's no undo button. But there is a new covenant, and that's what we're going to talk about just for a second. Luke twenty two twenty. here it is. And likewise, this is uh, on the night that Jesus was having the last supper with his disciples. It says, and likewise, the cup, he has taken the cup um, and after they had eaten. And he said this, the cup poured out for you is the what? All right, let's all say that together. It is the what? It's the new covenant. So all these covenants now play out. Here's Jesus right before Easter Sunday. The very first Easter, Jesus says there is a, now a new covenant, and it's in my blood. So it is the covenant of redemption. Well, what does redemption mean? Redemption means to buy back or to buy out. It is, um, it is actually a term used specifically in reference to the purchase and freeing of slave people. So you get the imagery that we must be redeemed. We are what? We're slaves. We were, every one of us, we we're born slaves. How do we know that? We're born slaves to sin. Paul tells us that in the book of Romans. 
So then evidently there needs to be a purchase that's going to take place so that we can be redeemed, we can be bought out, we can be bought out of slavery and set free. So the covenant redemption is essentially the covenant of works in reverse. So it's this. It's as if God sets Jesus back at the beginning of the covenant story and invites him to have another shot at it. It's like, hey, let's rewind the clock, put you back in the garden and have another shot at it. That's why Jesus is sometimes called the last Adam. There was a first Adam and Jesus would be called the last Adam or the second Adam. So like Adam, Jesus represents his people. When Adam died in the garden, me and you were declared guilty before we were ever born. We are guilty by association. That's called imputed sin. We're all guilty. And just like when Adam sinned, we were all guilty, through Jesus, we can all be declared righteous if we place our faith in what Jesus accomplished on the cross. So when Adam sinned and brought down the curses, whoever was going to undo the work of Adam was going to have to remove the curse and start all over again. So let me illustrate it this way, and we're going to wrap up, okay? Imagine if God had put Adam in a classroom, okay? He's going to put Adam in an algebra classroom. Why people mix letters and numbers together, I have no idea, but I think it's a form of torture that teachers give, put us under, right? Imagine if he put Adam in a classroom, and instead of telling him to fill the earth and, and uh, subdue it, imagine if he said, hey, here's this algebra exam, and you have to get a 100% on this thing. You can't get anything wrong. You have to show your work. You have to have a 100% on your algebra exam. Eternal life rested in that moment. How, many, how, would, how would you like to sit in a classroom with a math test and, every, and, and God go, hey, listen, if you get it all right, everybody lives. But if you get it wrong, I'm taking everybody out. Anybody want to sit under that pressure? Like, it's enough pressure just to sit under a math test. And here's the thing. Jesus isn't like Adam, and so Adam has to do this 100%, but Jesus has a problem. Let me say it's a problem. Jesus is going to have a more difficult time. Jesus is going to have to do the test in a fallen world. See, Adam got to do it in a perfect world, and now he's got to get 100% on this test. Jesus is going to have to do it differently. And here's what... This is what Adam had to do. He had to pass the test, and what we know is he did it. Now, funny story. How many of you have ever seen some of these cute little photos of kids taking tests and the answers they put down? I want to show you a couple of them. These are fantastic, by the way. There's some creative kids in the world. There's some creative kids. Teachers, can I get amen, creative kids? All right, let me show you a couple of these photos. Here's, here's photo number one. Check this out. Why are there rings on Saturn? Because God liked it, so he put a ring on it. <laughs> I love the teacher's response. She said, Saturn... Saturn was not a single lady. That's perfect. It's fantastic. Here's another one. Check this one out. This is great too. Who is your hero? My father. Who do you consider this person? Or why do you consider this person a hero? He's not afraid of anything. Is there anything your hero is frightened of? My mother. <laughs> Kids know the truth. All right. All right. Next one. What ended in 1896? Perfect answer. 1895. Amazing. It's a sharp kid right there. All right. Right or. <laughs> he followed instructions. Got it right. I think we have one more. I think we have one more. Bob has 36 candy bars. He eats 29. What does, what does he have now? Diabetes. <laughs> Bob has diabetes. It's fantastic. 
No ideas right here, okay? You guys go take your test, put the right answers down, all right? When Jesus, when Jesus enters the room to put things right, so imagine Adam has to make 100%, fails it, doesn't get it right. Now, when Jesus enters the room and he's going to put things right, he needs to do two things. He needs to deal with the punishment. Like the punishment doesn't go away. And then, not only does he have to deal with the punishment, but he also has to fill in the right answers on the test. There are therefore two aspects of Jesus' saving work. Through the covenant of redemption, Christ takes on himself the curse of the covenant works. It's why when Jesus was on the cross on Good Friday, he's on the cross and he says, it is finished. He finished the work. He took on all the curses. It's the reason that he said, Father, why have you forsaken me? Because in that moment, the wrath of God was being poured out for the sins of mankind on Jesus. So he's taking on the full wrath of all the broken covenant promises that we, you and I, wouldn't have to deal with all of the curses. But he also needs to fulfill its terms and earn for you and me its blessings. It's the covenant of redemption. I want to read you a lengthy passage of scripture. We're going to shoot straight through it and we're wrapping up. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 7 through 14, it says, In him we have what? There's the covenant, right? In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time to, un, or to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things in earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, have been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ, now he's talking to a specific audience of Gentiles, that's me and you, if you're not Jewish, you're a Gentile, the hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Now, so let me tell you where before Christ, if you haven't put your faith in Christ, let me tell you where you are. This is where I was, this is where many of us was prior to our faith in Jesus. We were under the curse, the curses of broken covenants. We were at enmity with God. God's wrath was aimed towards us. And what we needed, what we wish we had, was an undo button. Let me tell you a quick story what happened just a couple weeks ago. Many of you know about this. It was one of the most horrible things that I've ever seen in my life. We're getting ready for school. My wife's getting ready for school. I'm getting ready for work. Um, I hear a loud, just horrific crash outside of our house. We live on an intersection. I look out of my bedroom window. There it is. A big tractor trailer with a Nissan pinned underneath the trailer part of it. The driver gets out, and he just starts screaming. The driver of the truck. The lady in the car is dead. The driver in the truck is screaming his head off. He comes to our door screaming. I mean, he was beside himself. I would be too. 
That could have been me. I could have ran that stop sign. I don't know how many times you have been behind the wheel of a car that maybe you didn't run a stop sign, but maybe you just kind of drifted off the edge for a second, or maybe you ran into the other lane for a second. It's happened to all of us. That could be us. And in a mo- that driver, I will never get his scream out of my head. And I can guarantee you that in that moment, if he had an undo button he could push, he would undo it. The problem is it was already done. And for me and you, we've sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. And we wish we had an undo button, but we can't undo it. There is only one thing that is going to rescue me and you from the penalty of our sin. Faith in the accomplished work of Jesus on the cross. How do we know that when Jesus died on the cross, it was good enough for us? How do you know that when Jesus died on the cross, it was good enough for you? The reason we know that is because of Easter. When Jesus rose from the dead, that was God saying to all of humanity, I'm going to, I'm going to raise him from the dead because the payment he made was sufficient. It covered it. It's all set. I have paid your debt. Now, all we have to do because of the grace of God is place our faith in what Jesus did and accomplished on the cross, that we admit that we are sinners and we trust in what Jesus did as the forgiveness of our sins. And it's not an undo button. It's even better than that. Our sins are separated from us as far as the east is from the west. It's as if it's what justify, like when you think of justified, that we have been justified because of Christ's blood, it's justified, never sinned. That's how God sees us.